Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Brandon Arnold with the Cato Institute. Apologize for the delay there, but uh, as you might see, we do tape all of these uh, Hill briefings. Uh, we post them online at Cato.org, so they can be a resource for you going forward if you happen to miss something that one of the speakers said or just want to go back and get a refresher on what was covered at the briefing. Uh, you can go to our archived events section at Cato.org and check out this or any other briefing that we've done on Capitol Hill over the past several years. Um, also, as as you probably know already, all of our resources are available at Cato.org. All the papers that we've written, uh, op-eds, podcasts, link to our blog, you name it, it's there at Cato.org. Um, another resource that's available there that I wanted to bring to your attention is the Handbook for Policymakers. Uh, this is a publication that we put out once every four years. It's meant to give you a good primer on virtually every issue that we'd be dealing with uh, here on Capitol Hill, ranging from today's subject, health care, to free trade, foreign policy, war on drugs. Uh, it covers a, a pretty broad array of public policy issues. I think it's a great resource to keep on your desk as a Capitol Hill staffer. For that reason, we provide it free of charge to all Hill staff. So if for some reason you don't have a copy or if your uh, coworker keeps stealing yours and you need a second one, just let me know. I'd be happy to get one to you. With that, I'm going to introduce our first speaker to today. We're uh, very delighted to have Dr. June O'Neill with us. Uh, she is the Woolman Professor of Economics at the City of University of New York's uh, Baruch College. Uh, there she directs the Center for the Study of Business and Government. Uh, she's had a number of very, very impressive positions, uh, including the director of the CBO, uh, director of the Office of Policy and Research at the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, uh, and is a senior research associate at the Urban Institute. Uh, she is just, uh, in June of this year, she co-authored uh, Who Are the Uninsured, which is a paper uh, for the Employment Policies Institute that examines the characteristics of the uninsured, and that will be the primary talk uh, topic of her talk today. Dr. O'Neill. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Um, well, there they are, the census numbers. Well, what are the census numbers? Um, those come from the current population survey, the survey that's done every month to get the unemployment rate, and once a year in March, um, an income supplement is added. Um, the information about health insurance is really a byproduct of an effort that the census made at one point to find out something about fringe benefits um, or benefits in kind because the money, they were always measuring poverty in terms of money income, and then the issue arose. Well, as more and more of government um, subsidies for the poor came in the form of benefits in kind, like um, Medica Medicaid and food stamps and other things that are not money income, um, they added questions about insurance, um, because I also wanted to know about um, people who are well off it, who get supplements to their income through the health fringe benefit. Um, so it is, that was not the, the focus of the question, and I think that's one reason why um, the number of uninsured that's actually counted by the this, this census in the March survey has never been too clear exactly what they are counting. Um, there is a question about whether you had insurance in the preceding year. So in March of 2007, the question is asked for insurance receipt in 2006. Um, the number that the census gets, the 47 million, well actually 46,995 in 2006, the next year it was a little lower. 
Um, but th- we had done this study when the 2007 March was available for 2006. Um, so from now on, I will just be dealing with the 2006 numbers. Um, s- uh, other surveys that the census itself takes, the, um, the SIP data show considerably lower numbers, but SIP um, takes a long time to process. SIP asks on... Um, during the year what your insurance status is. So it's bound to be more accurate than a question that's asked in March about what did you, what happened to you the preceding year. Um, other surveys that are done by um, the National Institute of Health Statistics and other parts of the, um, the health bureaucracy um, generally get number, or an array of numbers, but the number that the census seems to give is usually the number for a point in time. So it's not totally clear what it is referring to. Um, And um, as you can see, um, that number refers to everybody, all ages. Um, Hardly anybody over the age of 65 is uninsured. Um, Those who are under the age of 65 close to the same number, 46 um, 46 million. Um, But a lot of those are children. So less than 18 is um, 8.7 million. So we're left with the population 18 to 64, which are the the number who are adults, and those are the people who actually make decisions about whether to get insurance or not. So that's been our focus. Um, now, here is how the uninsured are divided by um, income level. Now, you would, as you can see, those who are less, these are multiples of the poverty line, so under 1.5 times or 150% of the poverty line, um, that level is um, um, for a family of four. I can read it better here. For a family of of four, that income level, 1.5 times the poverty line, was 31,000 in 2006. Two and a half times the poverty line was 51,000, and four times the poverty line was 82,000. So, uh, you know, one might think if you if you really wanted to look at the needy, um, those who are less than 150 percent of the poverty line are. Uh, one, I think most people would agree, would be in the needy range, and there are 13 million there. Um, within each income category, you can see that um, below 150% of the poverty line, um, 42% are uninsured, but 29% are privately insured. Um, 26% are reported to have Medicaid and uh, 10% other public. Now, receipt of Medicaid means that you were enrolled. Um, Many people who are counted in the uninsured and who are are less than 150% of the poverty line are actually eligible for Medicaid, um, but they don't sign up. You know, if you, if you don't get sick, you don't have a reason really to go down to an office and sign up. If you do, if something happens to you, you have an accident, you go to the hospital, they sign you up. Um, so 
The estimates that have been made show that a considerable percentage of those in low-income categories who are uninsured actually um, could, are eligible for Medica Medicaid but don't get it. Okay, now in this study, we have, we have divided the, unin the uninsured into those we called the voluntarily uninsured and those we call the involuntarily uninsured, but that's a breakdown that's basically by income. Um, um, we called those who had incomes of 250% of the poverty line or more as voluntarily uninsured and the others involuntarily uninsured, and that's just on income grounds. And um, so 43% are in our higher income category, and those are the voluntarily uninsured. Um, and actually, I should. Um, when you look at um, going across, you can see that when you get to above 2.5% of the poverty line, um, the category 2.5% to 4% of poverty, more than three quarters are privately ins insured. <clears throat> and when you get to those who are four times the poverty line and more, 87% are privately insured. Um, and we used that type of reasoning to make our dividing line. Okay. The, the diversity that I mentioned is considerable. Um, there are four states that account for 40% of the uninsured. That's Texas, Florida, California, and New York. And um, the variation I pulled out. The percent uninsured in a few of the highest states with the highest percent uninsured, middle and low, you can see Texas, 30% of individuals in Texas, and I'm just looking at people 18 to 64, are uninsured. And um, the, great, the majority of them are in the involuntarily uninsured. Um, they're people with uh, incomes below 2.5% of the poverty line. Uh, Louisiana, 39%. Florida, 27% are uninsured. Arkansas, 26%. California, 24%. And the involunt except for Florida, the involuntarily insured are a large percentage. Um, many of the southern states are quite poor, and um, which is one reason that they have a large percent involuntarily uninsured. Um, the w states in the middle, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, um, the percent uninsured is about 18%, 19%. And then the states that show a lower percent uninsured, this is all with the same census data. Uh, Massachusetts, it's in there. This was in 2006. They had 14% uninsured. And the lowest was Minnesota with 11% uninsured. Massachusetts, incidentally, is a state that started out with, a, this is before the reform, started out with a relatively low percent uninsured. It's also a state with a highly educated population and 
Um, it's not a poor state at all. It's very well endowed with uh, fine educational, fine health institutions as well as educational institutions. It's a much easier state to uh, tackle than um, um, most of the states that have high, high percent uninsured. Now, we, when you look at the characteristics of the uninsured, um, now here they're shown. Um, we compare the privately insured with the total un uninsured and those who are vo voluntary, that's the higher income group, and involuntary, the lower income group. And you can see the characteristics are very, very different. Um, um, the, the percent female, even that's different. In the voluntary uninsured, 39% um, are, are women. Um, in the involuntary group, half are women, and the privately ins uh, insured are also women. One interpretation of that is that men are more likely to take risks. It shows up in other types of behavior, too, with respect to investments and other kinds of things and um, exposure to physical hazards. Um, men tend to be greater risk takers, um, and maybe they do that with their health, too. Um, at ages, um, another one is age differs dramatically. The privately uh, insured, a third are uh, less than age 35, 18 to 34. Among the uninsured in total, 50% are um, in that younger category. Um, high school dropouts, the privately uninsured, only 7% are high school dropouts. When you move to the uninsured, 27% um, overall are high school dropouts. The, the poorer group, the involuntarily uninsured, a third are high school dropouts. That's a very large percentage of high school dropouts. Um, um, the, the percent also differs by race and ethnicity. The percent white privately insured, 74% are white. Um, in the uninsured category is somewhat less than half. Um, and the percent African-American is lower among the privately insured than it is among the uninsured. The percent Hispanic is 9.5% um, among the privately insured, but it's um, quite high among the uninsured. 31% overall among the involuntarily uninsured, it's up to 35%. Uh, only 6% of the privately insured are foreign-born and not citizens, but among the uninsured altogether, it's 24%. Among the involuntarily uninsured, the lower-income groups, it's 28%. The percent, there's really no way of saying for sure what percent of the foreign-born who are not citizens are undocumented, um, I, I, people have made guesses, but um, I think it's very hard to tell. Many, well, in fact, all of the bills before Congress um, 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 do not cover undocumented um, immigrants. Um, and in line with the young age, a large percent of the uninsured, close to half, are not married and have no children compared to 30% of the privately um, insured. And work status, the privately never work during the year, 
um, only 13.5% of the privately insured, but 30% of the uninsured and 38% of the involuntarily in, um, uninsured uh, reported not working. Whether that's correct or not, I don't know, because um, there's uh, clearly an active um, um, underground economy in the United States, and so people who are not on the books, people who are off the books, may report themselves as not working. That's something that's uh, another one that's hard to actually investigate. Well, the other issue is what kind of services do the uninsured get? And... Um, um, using estimates made by Jack Hadley, John Hollihan, and others, um, they have made estimates of the per capita expenditures in 2008 um, used that's trying to sum up using provider. It's a very complex calculation. I won't, you'll, I'll, you can take it on faith. It's described in, in more detail um, in, um, in the report. But um, the Hadley estimate shows that of those uninsured for a full year, the per capita uh, expenditures that they received, this is the amount of dollar resources that they received, is um, 1825 And the privately insured, who are privately insured for a whole year, uh, received 4639 So the privately insured, by this calculation, received more but the uninsured receive 43% as much as the privately uh, insured. And the way that happens is, well, some of it is out-of-pocket expenditures that people pay for themselves because a lot of the uninsured are not needy um, at all. But then there's a considerable amount of charitable care. There's un there's, uh, hospitals are required in most places to take um, somebody who comes in and... Um, and treat them. And hospitals that can't collect, the, there is a federal program that, co that provides uncompensated care uh, reimbursements to hospitals. In addition to that, there is a, a large string of safety net programs around the United States, um, and co community health clinics. And some of those, you know, especially when people speak another language, are probably maybe more efficient ways to deliver health care rather than giving somebody who doesn't know how to navigate their way through the health care system simply a health insurance policy. Um, okay, another way to look at what do people get is um, to look at... Um, um, it would be nice to have a broad array of types of encounters with doctors to compare the uninsured and the uninsured, and the insured. But one that I happen to have handy was the percent of the relevant relevant group that gets screened for various types of cancer, and this is using the United States the MEPS survey. Um, for those who compares those who are insured and uninsured, and it also compares them with Canada. Um, Dave O'Neill and I did another study where we compare um, health care, health status, and um, in Canada. And so I, I did have the data for 2003 for Canada that could be compared. And what 
the percentage of women 20 to 64 who get a mammogram who got a mammogram in the past five years, very high percent in the United States, 87 percent. Um, the uninsured overall is 65 percent, but the voluntarily uninsured, 77 percent had a mammogram. But these numbers, even of the total uninsured, Canada, the average for Canada where care is free is 65 percent. Um, Canada, however, is not that well endowed with uh, radio. radio they, they have a low percent CAT scans, MRIs, as one found out with the tragedy involving Natasha Richardson. But um, um, it's true, you know, the, you've heard about the long waits. Well, there are long waits for all of these procedures, which probably accounts for the um, lower percentage in Canada overall um, than in the United States. For the pap smear, again, 92% of American women um, who have insurance had a pap smear. Um, among the uninsured, it's 80%. Canada, it's 80%. PSA test past five years, this is for men 40 to 64, 52% of the in- insured had a pap test in the past five years. Um, 31% of the uninsured but in Canada, it's only 16%. So the uninsured do not do badly when compared with the average Canadian. Um, um, okay, now one of, the, one of the accusations and one of the issues that is always brought up about the uninsured, and there, there are websites that actually state um, like Families USA uh, calculates the number of people in each state who die every day because they don't have health insurance. Um, um, so we thought that it would be important to look at the relationship as best as we can of lack of insurance and health status. Well, one of the things that any any, any analyst of health data knows is that health status is not simply a function of going to the doctor or have, certainly having health insurance, that it is very highly correlated with uh, characteristics, education being a prime one, and the uninsured have generally relatively low education. Um, income is highly correlated also with health status um, and obviously age. Um, So what we did was to to use, but in order to, what is a health status variable that we could look at? Well, you want to have something that's longitudinal, where you can look at health insurance at one point in time and follow a group and see what happens to them, and one measure that's specific and that doesn't rely on your opinion about your own health is um, survival rate. So we looked at, actually, the probability um, that people in the health and retirement study, which is um, the National Institute of Aging, has been doing. It's an amazing study that follows um, cohorts over time. So we took the cohort that was ages 51 to 61, in 1992. Um, They provided information on their insurance status and a lot of information on individual characteristics. And we look at at the percent who died at different points in time in the future. Um, 
by, and we looked at them by insurance status. Now, if you do nothing, adjust, if you don't adjust for characteristics, um, if you don't adjust for characteristics, this chart just looks at the percent who died by 2002 and the percent who died by 2006 out of this cohort, all of whom were 51 to 61 in 1992. Um, you could see that um, those who were privately insured um, have, were less likely to die in 2002 than um, um, the involuntarily uninsured. Now, we added here those who had public insurance, uh, largely Medi Medicaid, Medicare, early, um, and any kind of public insurance. Um, but they had the highest, the highest percent who died, 29% had died by 2002. The voluntarily uninsured, those are the, the higher income groups. They were also uninsured, um, but they're not that much different. They're somewhat more likely to have died. They had a worse mortality profile than the privately insured, but the differences weren't that great. The, when, you, when you push it farther ahead, to 2006, because as everybody ages, the probability of dying goes up. Everybody does, but um, um, it um, the same the same differences prevail. Okay, but now we don't want to just look at the percent who died. We know that the characteristics of, are very different. The involuntarily uninsured, as we saw before, um, had considerably lower education. That was in, in the census data. And when we look um, when we when we look in the HRS data, we find the same thing. Um, here are the characteristics. The, those who received public insurance when they were 51 to 61 also have very disadvantaged characteristics. They undoubtedly now another question was a health self-assessment, whether you viewed your health as um, excellent, very good, or fair, poor. And you can see that those with public insurance viewed their health as fair, poor. Um, now, and undoubtedly, their health was fair. The involuntarily uninsured are not as, as unhealthy, but they're still considerably more unhealthy at that point than the voluntarily uninsured or the privately insured. So the voluntarily uninsured have a somewhat worse profile when it comes to what you would expect about health status than the privately uninsured, but they're not that different. But the involuntarily uninsured are very different. And if you skim down, um, for example, the percent high school dropout you can see is lower for the privately insured somewhat higher for the voluntarily, but much higher for the involuntarily uninsured and those with public insurance. Um, the percent who are college graduates was very small, only 6% for the involuntarily uninsured, 24% for those with private insurance. Um, the privately insured and the voluntarily uninsured are also more likely to be married. Married people tend to live longer. Um, not exactly sure why, but um, <laughs> uh, maybe one person can take care of the other helps as you get into older ages. Uh, now, the percent obese, which is never well 
measured in these surveys, people tend to not report accurately their weight and height. So, but this is rough. Probably the differences may even be more extreme. You can see the involuntarily uninsured and the publicly uninsured were more likely to be obese. Um, and another one that shows up in every survey, no matter what, people who smoke, if you never believed it before, when you look at these data, um, you can see that smoking kills. And um, both the publicly, those with public insurance and those who are involuntarily uninsured are much more likely to be currently smoking than um, the privately insured that had the lowest um, percent currently smoking or the voluntarily uninsured. Um, so the characteristics differ, and you really have to take account of them before you can measure health status. So what we did was to use uh, regression analysis where we could control for the differences and then measure what the differences are between the privately insured and, um, and the other groups, um, controlling for no differences and then and then controlling for these characteristics. So um, what you see here is the percentage point difference in mortality um, between the um, involuntarily, every, relative to the privately insured. They are the benchmark group. So well, how many percentage points more likely um, were these groups to die? And we, this is going to 2006. The involuntarily uninsured, this is just like the table that you looked at, 11 percentage points more likely to be um, to die. At that point, the voluntarily only 3%, and the publicly insured um, point, um, 0.20, 0.21. That was, you know, higher. Okay, now second, second column, control for age, sex, race, education, marital status, employment status, obesity, whether you smoke, and household income. And those differentials dramatically shrink. So what this says, if you compare people um, who are the same with respect to these demographics but differ only or with respect to insurance status, the differential between the groups is much smaller for the involuntarily uninsured, it shrinks from um, 11 percentile points to 3.7. Um, the voluntarily uninsured will low anyway, but it shrinks more to 1.9. The publicly insured also drops significantly. Um, probably their health status is not well enough mentioned. They're probably much sicker. Um, I don't think you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that's because the public and pro programs were bad. Maybe that could be true, but I think it's more likely that they had unmeasured health problems that, aren't, that weren't measured. Um, in the third column, we added um, health status as reported, but there it's, you know, the fairly rough categories of excellent, good, fair, poor, and that reduces it even further so that the involuntarily uninsured are now um, slightly less than three percentiles more likely to die. That's for people who have the same characteristics. The voluntarily, it's not statistically significant anymore, less than two percentile points. And the publicly, uninsured, uh, the publicly insured goes down to 8.3 percentile points. So um, 
those are things that one, when one hears about how lack of insurance causes death, you might think about all the other things that we could do to help people improve their health, you know, through education and other kinds of, of things. I, I just one sort of parting word. I think that we can't really, um, the bills that I have seen, and I have no idea what will actually turn up, um, but all of them are spending more money. Um, there's no getting around it, but the money it's not clear that it's really very well focused on what the problem is, um, but nonetheless, it is spending more money. Uh, right now, we spend, in, to, in 2009, and it may end up higher, but the CBO estimate of a few months ago was that um, the federal government, right now, on the current federal health programs, will be spending for the year um, $1 trillion dollars. Um, $500 billion for Medicare, $250 billion for Medicaid, and the rest for campus military health and a variety of other health programs. So we're already spending a lot. Medicare is hemorrhaging. Medicare is anybody who's looked at the numbers or the forecast. That program is unsustainable. Um, we're going to have to spend quite a lot or make some radical changes in order to put Medicare on, on, on a sustainable course to begin to add something before we've taken care of Medicare. And there are many problems with the current Medicaid program that, may, that could probably be changed to serve much better the people that you hope would be getting served. So you can, I guess there'll be time for questions later. Thank you, Dr. O'Neill. Yeah, we'll uh, hear from uh, Michael Tanner, our next speaker, and then we'll take questions of uh, both panelists. Uh, Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He's an expert on a variety of domestic issues, including, of course, today's subject, uh, healthcare reform. He's also the co-author of a book we published just a couple years ago called Healthy Competition, which is an excellent resource, an excellent guide on both what's wrong with healthcare currently and how you can fix it using the, the market forces. With that, I'll turn things over to Mike. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm going to be very, very brief because uh, th I think the questions are going to be going to be interesting here. But let me just say this: um, in the legal profession, you hear all the time that hard cases make bad law, and I think when it comes to healthcare reform, the whole idea is that healthcare uh, hard cases make bad policy. Uh, if you look at the advertisements uh, that run on TV or the people who stand up at town hall meetings with various politicians, you always get this impression that the uninsured is composed uh, of people who were basically middle class working two jobs and they have seven kids, all of whom are handicapped, and then suddenly uh, they both lost their jobs and lost their health insurance the day before and uh, they are therefore trapped uh, in this and unable to get health insurance, and they're probably never going to see it again and, and all die in the next few months. Uh, the, the reality is, as, as you've just heard, quite different uh, when it comes to who is uninsured. Certainly those hard cases exist, but the vast uh, numbers of the uninsured don't fit into those categories. They are people who have voluntarily chosen to go without health insurance for good or bad reasons. They are people who could afford health insurance. 
uh, if they chose to get it or chose not to, many of them. Many of them uh, are, are immigrants, both legal and illegal. Many of them are uninsured for very brief periods of time. Uh, when we say someone's uninsured, we sort of have this idea that they're born without health insurance, and 80 years later they died without health insurance, and they never saw a doctor in between. Uh, but as we've seen, the, the reality is that many of them do get, uh, do get health care of some kind, if not as good and not as quick. They do still receive some care. Uh, and uh, many of them will become insured again uh, relatively shortly. They tend to cycle in and out of the uh, job market and in and out of the insurance market. It's an issue we have because of the link between health insurance and, and employment in this country. All of this suggests that when we look at spending a trillion or a trillion and a half or more likely two trillion dollars on health care reform, we should be asking whether or not we're getting the right bang for our buck. Uh, how many involuntarily uh, uninsured people are you actually going to cover for that two trillion dollars? Uh, is that the best possible expenditure for your money? Or could you expand health which in the end is our goal, uh, for a much cheaper, uh, cheaper sum. We, uh, we tend to equate in this debate the idea that health insurance equals health care, which equals health. But the reality is they are all different things. At the end of the day, what we really want is Americans to be healthier. Is the best way to make Americans healthier to get them to see doctors more, more health care, and is the way to see, get them to see doctors more to give them more pieces of paper called health insurance. There is, uh, you'd be surprised to find out, no evidence in the academic literature that giving them a piece of paper called health insurance actually leads to them being healthier at the end of the day. If you had $1 to invest, putting it into health insurance doesn't necessarily make them any healthier than a variety of other possible outcomes or possible expenditures of that, of that money might well make more people healthier. Uh, and in fact, we can think of a lot of things that, that might have more impact ultimately on the health of the population than simply providing health insurance. And of course, we know that simply having health insurance doesn't necessarily do you a lot of good in many countries around the world, but tell you that you have health insurance and then you can't necessarily see a doctor when you get sick. Uh, and, and so I, I think equating those uh, can often lead to the wrong policy outcomes. At any rate, uh, I think that all of this, as you get more information and we move away from sort of the emotional pull of some of these stories that, that we see, suggests that maybe we want to slow down the healthcare train and have a better analysis of the problem and the possible solutions to it. Uh, right now, we are rushing headlong to get uh, through Congress in the next three weeks bills that will affect one-sixth of the U.S. economy and some of the most important personal and private decisions in people's lives. Uh, it's amazing to me that on last Tuesday, the House can introduce a bill that's more than 1,000 pages long and voted out of committee on Wednesday. Uh, I do wonder how many people actually read all 1,000-plus pages of, of that bill and know everything that's in it. So uh, perhaps as we get more information like Dr. O'Neill has provided us today, uh, we might take a deep breath, step back, and try to get this right rather than just get it through quickly. And with that, I guess, uh, Brandon, we'll open it up to questions.